My brothers and sisters in the Lord, earlier this week I was watching a documentary on television, and it was a documentary that was going through the life of coal miners in a very small rural town. And as you can well imagine, my brothers and sisters, to be a coal miner, and many of them have been in this profession for generations, is a very difficult life. It is hard work, it is dirty work, Sometimes it is not the safest work going into that mountain. And certainly in recent history, with development of government regulations and cleaner energy, it's not always a stable source of income to support their families. And they were interviewing a very elderly miner. And he said a phrase that really struck home. And this is basically what he said. He said that, as the person was asking him several questions, he said that, you know, sometimes it feels like I'm on top of the mountain. And other times it feels like the mountain is on top of me. Now, my brothers and sisters, certainly he was relating it to his life. But that phrase, that statement is a statement that we can all relate in our own lives. Because we've all had those times where we have felt that we were on top of the mountain. And we've all had those times which we felt the mountain was on top of us. And sometimes it's all happened in the same day, back and forth several times. In the scriptures, my brothers and sisters, mountains are very important. Because very important events occur on mountains. Our first reading is on Mount Moriah. On Mount Moriah, Abraham is going to sacrifice his son Isaac at the request of the Lord God. And I'm sure as he was about to grab that dagger and offer his son as a sacrifice, I'm sure he felt like the mountain was on top of him. But he was faithful, he was steadfast, and the Lord saw his faith, and the messengers we heard in the reading came to him and said, do not sacrifice Isaac. And in thanksgiving, Abraham offered a nearby ram as a holocaust, as a sacrifice to God. We see Moses. Moses goes up Mount Sinai. And he receives the Ten Commandments from God. He has this beautiful experience. He feels like he is on top of the mountain. Not just literally, but certainly figuratively. And by the time he goes down the mountain, what does he find? He finds that the people are worshiping an idol, the golden calf that they have cast, and, and they were participating in all forms of other vile activities. I'm sure by the time Moses got down the mountain, he felt like the mountain was on top of him. There are those times you say, why God walked Elijah. Elijah has that contest, as you remember in scripture, with the prophets of Baal. To see whose God is the true God. And Elijah wins the contest. And I'm sure Elijah felt that he was on top of the mountain until the wicked queen Jezebel decided to come after him. And pursue him. And Elijah was then on the run, finding himself hiding in a cave inside of the mountain. The mountain 
was on top of him. And certainly in Jesus' life, we see numerous experiences occur on mountains. When Jesus begins his public ministry, he goes into the desert for 40 days and 40 nights. And one of the temptations of Satan, Satan brings them on a high mountain to see all the kingdoms of the world and say, all of this could be yours if you bow down and worship and prostrate before me. On the Mount of Olives, Jesus goes often to pray. And it's on that same mount that he is betrayed. The Sermon on the Mount, the great sermon of Jesus offered on this mountain, probably near the town of Capernaum, on the northern side of the Sea of Galilee. All of these things, my friends, are occurring on the mountain. These important events in salvation history. And today is no different as we hear in the gospel today, this beautiful mountaintop experience of the transfiguration of the Lord. Where Jesus takes Peter, James, and John up the mountain. Now, let us remember, my friends, a little bit of the background of what has just occurred right before the transfiguration. A few days before this, Jesus and the disciples are in Caesarea Philippi. And while they're there, Jesus asked that very important question, who do you say that I am? And my brothers and sisters, that question will define our entire life, and it defines our entire society, and it's one of the reasons we have so many problems we do. That's a homily for a different time. And Peter, Peter is the one who says to Jesus, you are the Christ, the Messiah, the Son of the living God. He makes his profession of faith. And Jesus says, flesh and bone have not revealed this to you, but only my Father in heaven. And I bet Peter was feeling pretty good about himself. And then Jesus tells them what it means to be the Messiah. The Son of Man must suffer greatly and be rejected and be killed. And on the third day, rise. And of course, Peter didn't like that answer. Heaven forbid, Lord, this will never happen to you. And we have Jesus' famous words, get behind me, Satan. You think as man does and not as God does. So keep that in the back of your mind as you think of this experience of the transfiguration. Because only a few days later that Jesus takes Peter, James, and John up the mountain. And I'm sure they're probably still trying to figure out in their head what this whole concept of the Messiah means. All this suffering and death, is this really what they signed up for? And as they go up the mountain, they have this beautiful mountaintop experience. As Jesus is transfigured before them, a change in appearance, a change in form. The glory of God is shown to them. And many times, our brothers and sisters, it's even difficult for us to try to comprehend what it was like on that mountain to see Jesus transfigured. I often use this little example, and certainly it limps in comparison, but trying to put it into something that we can understand. Think of this example. You have a neighbor, and the neighbor has a relatively young son. He's a nice boy, but 
he's not the brightest bulb in the light box. And so the young man cuts grass for the natives. And he's going to cut your grass for only $20 a week. Now that's a good deal, you think. So you hire him to cut your grass. He's a good kid. And after he cuts it, you give him $20. You feel kind of bad for him. So you decide to give him a tip. So you give him a $2 tip. You give him $22 and you do that for a few weeks. And then eventually the family moves away. And you never see the family or the young boy again. Then many, many years later, you're in the hospital. And you need to have open heart surgery. And while you're in the hospital, you're in one of the best hospitals in the country. And the nurse comes in and the nurse says to you that the chief cardiac surgeon is going to do your operation. And you're thinking to yourself, the chief surgeon, thanks be to God. And all of a sudden, a man walks in the room. And you look at him. And he looks familiar. You can't quite place it. He's much older. And suddenly, you realize that the chief cardiac surgeon was the young boy who used to cut your grass. And at that moment, you wish you tipped him better than $2. You see, my friends, that example limps in comparison, but the disciples experienced something totally new, a total change in the glory of God being shown before them. And not only that, but Jesus appears with Moses and Elijah in this conversation. Moses representing the law, Elijah, the first of the great prophets. And for the Jewish people, the law and the prophets were the foundation of their culture and their society. And then certainly Peter has to say something. Peter always has to say something. Peter says, we need to build some tents. Maybe he's the first voice God. I don't know. We need to build some tents. One for you, one for Moses, one for Elijah. But it's interesting what the evangelist writes. If you caught it in the next verse, he says, he hardly knew what to say, for this, they were so terrified. Even Peter hardly knew what to say. He had to come up with something. And all of a sudden, the cloud appears in the voice of the Father. This is my beloved son. Listen to him. My brothers and sisters, whether we are on top of the mountain or whether we feel that the mountain is on top of us, the call of the Lord is to be able to always listen to Him, to give Him our undivided attention, to be able to cultivate the interior silence and solitude so that we can be able to discern the voice of the Lord in our own lives. Because you see, my brothers and sisters, we live in a society where there is a lot of noise. There's a lot of talking. There's a lot of talking heads on television and radio and the internet and everything else. And most of them do not know what they're talking about. But you see, my friends, the Lord desires to speak to us. But do we quiet ourselves and do we give God our undivided attention? And when he does speak, do we respond and do we listen? 
or do we go our own way because we think our plan is better? Our way is better. I was speaking to a priest some time ago. We were together for a workshop, and he was telling me this little story. He said that one day he was going to preach a Lenten mission. He said, but he felt called by God not to preach it in a parish. He wanted to preach the Lenten mission in a prison, to the prisoners. And so this was in another state, and so he got permission from the warden. And this particular prison had almost 3,000 inmates. And the chapel held about 300 people, so they said that they thought that about 300 people would show up for this mission. And so the priest said, I was all prepared. I was all excited. 300 people in this chapel, three or four days to listen to this mission. And he had worked on his presentation. He was ready to go to preach almost an hour for three or four consecutive days. Well, a few days before the mission was about to start, they found a stash of guns in the prison. And so the prison was placed on lockdown. So they agreed to allow the priest to come. And so when he arrived for the first day of the mission, instead of 300 people being there, there was only three. Everyone else was in lockdown. Three of the trustees. And he said to himself, when I stood up there, I didn't want to preach that mission. I mean, three people, all this time, all this energy, and all these days of coming, and it's only going to hit three people. Why waste my time? And he said, when I was in prayer, the Lord said, preach the mission. I will use it. And so he said he gave it his all for the three people there for those four or five days. He said about a week or so later, he was speaking to the chaplain of the prison. And he was telling the chaplain about this story and about his struggle and his disappointment that it only reached three people. And the chaplain said, well, didn't you know the chapel has a television camera, a video camera in the back. We taped your entire mission. And while the prisoners were on lockdown, that's all they watched was your mission. You reached all 3,000 of them. You see, my brothers and sisters, we never know how God's going to work when we listen. He was expecting 300. He thought he only had three. 3,000 watched. Listening to the Lord. And oftentimes I get the question, well, Father, what if I listen and I get it wrong? I don't hear the Lord correctly. I don't discern it correctly. Well, that's easy, my friends. God's always going to let you know. He's always going to let you know. It's like the classical story of King Henry III of Bavaria, 11th century. He was a very good king peaceful kingdom, but he really didn't like political life. He didn't want to sit there in the throne room and greet all these dignitaries from other areas and kingdoms and deal with all the politics and everything else that had to do with being a king in a court. So he decided one day that he was going to go to the local monastery. He wanted to become a monk. And so he knocked on the monastery door and he saw the superior there and he told the superior, I don't want anything to do with kingly life. I want to be a monk. And the superior thought for a moment and he said, well, 
Isn't that going to be difficult for you? Because eventually one of your vows is the vow of obedience. And you're used to being the king. And he said to him, I am willing to be obedient to you in whatever Christ says to you. Saying to the monk, whatever Christ says to you, I am willing to listen. And the monk thought about it for a moment. And he looked at the king and he said, very well. This is what I want you to do. I want you to go back to your kingdom, and I want you to be king. Because that is what God has called you to do, and you cannot run away from it. And so he went back to his kingdom. And when he died, you can still go there today and you see the royal throne. And it said, King Henry, who learned how to rule by being obedient. You see, my brothers and sisters, do we listen? Whether we feel we're on top of the mountain or the top mountain is on top of us. And do we hear what God has to say? As the gospel ends today, suddenly, looking around, they no longer saw anyone but Jesus alone with them. My brothers and sisters, Jesus never leaves us alone. He is always there with us, guiding us, leading us, directing us. But we have to discern, we have to listen, and we have to respond. And if we do, it doesn't matter if we're on top of the mountain, underneath the mountain, or in a cave in between. God always provides, and God's will is always manifested in our lives. May God grant us the grace to be able to be quiet interiorly during the season of Lent and to listen to the voice of the Lord.